every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello and welcome to Pipeline Visionaries. This episode features an interview with Jenny Victor, CMO at Epicor, a company focused on solutions that help their customers with big picture inventory management, forecasting, and timely delivery. In this episode, Jenny shares with us how compelling content should be at the center of all that you do, how consumability is key when reaching prospective customers, and the unique strategies Epicor is employing to stand out in a crowded marketing landscape. Jenny also shares a new vision for what it means to be a CMO in our modern world and what that looks like when it comes to services and customer success. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Qualified. If you're a revenue team that runs your business on Salesforce, Qualified will accelerate your lead generation, pipeline, and ultimately revenue. Learn more at qualified.com. So please enjoy this interview between Jenny Victor, CMO at Epicor, and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Pipeline Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. And today we are joined by a special guest, Jenny. How are you? I am good. Thank you very much. How are you doing? I am doing excellent. Excited to chat about Epicor. Excited to chat about your background and marketing. And today's show is brought to you by our friends at Qualified. We're always brought to you by Qualified. You can go to qualified.com to learn more about the number one conversational sales and marketing platform for companies, revenues, teams that use Salesforce. So let's get into it. What was your first job in marketing? So I'm, I feel like I'm pretty lucky. My first job in marketing was directly out of business school and I was hired into IBM in their marketing leadership development program. Mm. which meant I kind of got a little special entrance into marketing. It was a program designed by the then CMO, Abby Constam, to really help people understand the different parts of marketing. And I got to start in product marketing at a recent acquisition IBM had made out here in the Bay Area. That's awesome. I've I've heard of people doing programs like that because so I my spent my formative years in the army and they, mm-hmm. they have a lot of like military rotational programs for like, mm-hmm. you know, junior officers or NCOs or whatever. And so anyways, those type of programs are so cool because you get to see so much stuff and especially for you in your first marketing job, I'm sure that was awesome. It, it was really neat. And you, they gave you a different level of visibility as a new entry into a company, the size of IBM, right? You reported directly to a VP of marketing for one of the business units. So you got to actually go in to see a little bit more of how the marketing was impacting the business at a very early stage in your career, which was super cool. And now you are the CMO of Epicor. Tell us about what it means to be CMO. Well, I think for me at Epicor, the opportunity for CMO is really to help elevate our marketing to be a more strategic player for the company. But I think as a CMO in general, the role is really changing. Because it used to be all about really focused on just the demand side, but now it's really evolved into how are you impacting and driving the business and how are you driving that 
connection with the market, especially as we move into a reoccurring world. As we move more into cloud and SaaS type solutions, you need to worry about the renewal. And so you need to think more long-term about that customer engagement. So I think really chief marketing officers are starting to blend a lot with the success side of the house and not only partner just with sales, but much more with services and success. Yeah. I, I love, I love how you said that, you know, making marketing a more strategic place, because I think that for a lot of, especially in the echo chamber, that is the pipeline visionaries podcast <laughs> where we talk about marketing all the time. And like, we don't even question its importance or its strategic right. function, right? Like we just know, and we can prove that with data and otherwise, but for a lot of companies, there isn't that function. It's either very sales driven or very product driven or things like that. And like, so coming in and, and making marketing strategic is something that's needed. And it's something that a lot of CMOs come in and, and need to do. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's part of the fun for me. It's part of the challenge. It's taking the storytelling to kind of a new level because you want to not only tell the story to the market, but also to the rest of the business. We're not just a cost center, we're actually impacting the revenue stream. And if you treat marketing as sort of the tip of the spear as really a part of the revenue cycle, then you're gonna see that strategic Im impact much more clearly. All right, let's get to our first segment, the trust tree. With the knowledge you've been given, you are now on the inside of what I like to call the circle of trust. What, I thought we were in the trust tree in the nest, are we not? Where you go and feel honest and trusted and you can share those deepest, darkest <laughs> pipeline secrets. So what does Epicor do? So we are the essential ERP partner to the world's most essential businesses. And so what this really means is that Epicor is a global leader in delivering industry-specific ERP software. And our customers and who we service with this industry-specific software are the makers, movers, and sellers. They're the people that make everything everyone needs. It's the mm -hmm. automotive industry, it's the manufacturing industry, it's hardline retailers, it's distribution and building supply. And so those customers, what does that buying committee look like? What do those personas look like? For us, we're really helping companies better manage their operations. So our buyers and those buying committees tend to be those people in charge of operations. So they could be, depending on the type of company or size of company, it could really be the COO to VP of operations or the CIO or technology leaders. In some cases, those are nested under finance. So it's usually kind of where that cross is between operations and technology. And we service companies, depending on which industry, from your ACE retailers. You know, ACE is a big customer of ours. We have a lot of the ACE stores are running Epicore. So we have the individual retailers. So ACE is a great customer to large manufacturers and distributors. So I think it's really kind of fun to see the size and breadth of company that we work with and who we work with across these different really critical industries. Yeah, very cool. And how do you structure your marketing organization to go after these accounts? So we have kind of split the marketing organization where we have a deep industry focus because we're such an industry-based company. And I say that in a way that is still even, I'm about almost to a year in at Epicor in this role. I've been at companies before that have said that they're industry-specific. Typically, companies have... Uh, 
generic platform that they've created great use cases for certain industries in. We really have individual ERPs built specific to these industries. So we have five different platforms. We're very industry specific. And I think that is one of our greatest differentiators because we truly know that. So our marketing organization has to mimic that and has to carry through that expertise to the market. So my product marketing teams, my demand gen teams are very much industry focused. With that said, we have a global program. So a lot of it, I do have a little bit kind of a hub and spoke thing for a lot of my digital centralized and some of my, obviously brand is going to be centralized because you want that global unified brand and creative and ARPR, that type of activities. Those things that we want to have a consistent global presence are centralized. And what's your marketing strategy? Well, one of the things that we want to continue to make sure that we connect with the market on is that we're here to help them solve their problems today, as well as their problems for tomorrow. Mm. So we want to make sure, and we've built our marketing program, communication strategy, ongoing education and engagement to really help customers through their entire life cycle from prospect to ongoing and renewing customer. So we have a brand promise that is made with you for you. We want to make sure we embody that in how we go to message and communicate with the market. So we really ensure that we help them solve today's problems. And then we have a pretty involved educational effort and engagement effort to make sure they continue to get to learn from us and see how they can expand and grow with us. And we have had customers that have grown their businesses from, you know, a hundred million to over a billion now. They were all located initially in the U.S. and manufacturers, especially that have then expanded globally. And so we want to make sure that we can continue to support as our customers grow. That's a really important thing for us. And then how do how do you think about demand as it fits within mm-hmm. your marketing? So within any marketing organization, demand's pretty key. (laughs) It's usually one of the central things that you want to do. And thinking about it is there's the demand somebody has to solve that initial problem. Let's take them to market to find that initial solution and start to engage with you. What we want to help them do is identify those other demand opportunities for other parts of our portfolio or for other ways their business can leverage the product. So they can get greater value from their investment and, you know, from our side, keep investing in Epicor. So that's one of the things that we think about in terms of demand. It's it's really across what they need today and tomorrow. Okay, let's get to our next segment, the playbook. This is what's great about sports. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game where you open up that playbook and talk about the tactics that help you win. What are your three channels or tactics that are your uncuttable budget items? Well, when you talk about uncuttable budget items, the first thing that came to isn't quite an individual tactic, but is content. I think content is king. Having grown up in product marketing from that side of the organization, I truly believe that content is really at the center of what you're going to do. It's going to be how you're going to convey your story. Every tactic you have uses content. So Content to me is something that we need to continually invest in and make it interesting and make it compelling and make it eye-catching and consumable is really the most important part of that. So that's my neat, number one thing. And you'll always hear me talk about that with my team and, and any, any of the organizations I've been in. Second to that is digital. I think the world right now, people consume information 
from the palm of their hand more than anything else, right? They look mm-hmm. at their phone, they're getting, they're checking their emails, they're doing different web searches, they're looking on social media. So they're really, really engaged more at a digital side of things. And I'm sure you've probably seen Forster does their annual survey around marketing investments. And every year they come out with a stat that has not changed for the last five years that buyers are 70 to 80% of their way through their learning journey before they engage with a company. People are finding that information across digital channels. So digital is a big thing for me. And then I'll say the third one that has been kind of the most fun for me to learn about since joining Epicor are the acceleration events. I spoke earlier about keeping demand kind of through that life cycle. We can't think of demand as ending once marketing gets something into pipeline and then it's sales problem. It's often not ours anymore. There really is a lot of work that we can do with sales to accelerate through the sales side of the funnel. And we run these acceleration events where we bring prospects together with our experts, whether it be at our headquarters or on other sites within different cities around the country or the globe, to what we call leadership summits, where they actually get to learn a little bit more about us, about our vision, but get more hands-on time around use cases for the product and how it can help solve their problems. And these events have been really successful in terms of moving pipe more quickly, which right now has been pretty good because people have been hesitant to spend money because of what's happening at a microeconomic environment. So we're accelerating those deals and seeing greater win rates. So I like those a lot. I love that. I I just love love the idea of acceleration in general, Mm -hmm. because it's something that we talk about with, with our podcast, with these series of like how it is a pipeline acceleration sort of play, as well as like, you know, sourcing pipe and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I love the idea of acceleration because I think that you're exactly right that where we're at in, in this market where there's so many different touch points. There's so much education happening ahead of time. There's that 95% of people that aren't buying. So in order to accelerate, like you have to have the accelerant, which you were mentioning is like, you know, content or, you know, something digitally that they can sort of sink their teeth into or an event. And then you need to have, you know, the place in which they can sort of, you know, be, be, you know, self-select into a sales opportunity at some point in time. So anyways, I like that. I like that framing. Yeah, you know what has been really interesting with it, and it plays into something that I've been seeing more since the pandemic, is the increased value of creating peer-to-peer experiences, whether it's peer-to-peer for prospects. So when we have a variety of prospects in a room together, they talk amongst themselves too and find out what they're each looking at or what what they find is interesting or how it's helping them with their problem or at some of our user events where we have that, the peer-to-peer learning there. I feel like maybe people lost that during the COVID shutdown when we were so virtual and you were just capturing things from a webinar or the virtual events. And that need now for that peer-to-peer engagement is just amplifying the impact of our activities. Why do you think that is? Like, because I mean, I I totally agree. Like, you know, I think that there's a subset of people who are so choose to get back to in person. <laughs> There's another subset that are like, oh my gosh, I, I don't really want to get back to it. But I think that it it feels to me at events that there's a different type of energy and an excitement and a willingness to learn and to try new products and things like that, that maybe we were just, 
that it was a little bit stale before. I, I don't know. Or maybe we just got complacent, you know, right? I don't know. I think, you know, I could go a couple of different ways on this. I felt like when I was paying for events prior to the pandemic, events kind of got to the point of being almost a boondoggle. You had to have them in the place where people wanted to travel and they wanted to go because you just wanted, people just wanted to get out of the office and just go to the event. It wasn't that they were there to really take it in and learn. And then I think that, right. that right? <laughs> and then when that was taken away from us, you miss that sort of interaction. And that's where people started to learn a little bit more. So I think some of it is that. I also think we've evolved into kind of a review-based culture. There's not much you do today where you don't make a purchase decision, where you don't look at reviews, you know, whether it's personal, whether it's what restaurant to go to, whether, you know, what you're doing. And I think that peer-to-peer engagement kind of follows that, getting others' opinions on it as you go through that process. Yeah. I mean, that's how we think about content like here at Caspian is accelerating other people's ideas and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, you know, events, I think that back in the day, I think they felt so content driven because you couldn't really get that stuff other places. Whereas now you can use digital content, Mm -hmm. you know, to like, if Mm -hmm. I want to hear from Jenny, I could go, you know, read her thoughts somewhere, or I could listen to her on some podcasts, or I could listen to like, you know, their company podcast or whatever. And I can get that sort of, you know, the education, like just in time, I don't have to wait, you know, for a year. And then you have other people who I think like do their learning like once a year. Like I know everyone is sort of like (laughs) learning all the time, but it's like, all right, I'm just going to wait until reInvent. (laughs) Like I'm just going to wait until, you know, or whatever, or Dreamforce or whatever. They're like, I'm just going to go. That's going to be my, you know, two to three days, my brain's going to explode there. And then maybe I'm going to like, you know, keep up with it throughout the year, almost like a recertification of some kind. Yeah, I could, I could see that being the case for a lot of people, especially if you think about it in terms of that certification, maybe they're attached to release cycles for things too. those big events that people have still tend to be anchored by what's new in the product too. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Especially if, if it's a user conference and they're really Mm -hmm. dug in on, on that product. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What type of content do you like creating? I like thinking about content in a couple of different formats. So one of the things that I think is, is always interesting for a CMO is you have CMOs that kind of tend towards the science and you have CMOs that tend towards the art. I tend towards the science, which means I need to create an appreciation and understanding of how to manage the art side of things. And for me, content is a great way for me to do that because the art is what captures your attention. It's what makes it initially consumable and it's what makes it something that you want to pick up and you want to engage in. So for me, from a content, it's starting at the story level. And then I think one of the most effective content pieces out there are blog series, really, because I think people can follow them. They can get quick hits of information from a marketer standpoint. You can bring in different bits and pieces through different links. I think there's a strong storytelling capability that can lead people on the right journey for where they want to go to next. Content that's most effective starts people, meets them somewhere and takes them on a journey. And I think blogs are a great way to do that today. Yeah, I, I I couldn't agree more. And I think that there's that control element to being able to craft something with a narrative mm-hmm. 
to have a beginning, middle, and end. We have mm-hmm. a we have a podcast that we do called Remarkable, where it's all about content marketing, and like so much of it is just thinking about things in terms of stories mm-hmm. and using those like Hollywood screenwriting things, using tools like that to tell your stories, like Hero's Journey and all these other things. <laughs> I was like, going to say Joseph Campbell. There you go. <laughs> well, yeah, it's like so obvious. And then when we we write a blog post or a customer story and we never tell it in that way, right? it's like we just <laughs> sort of like dump a bunch of information out there rather than just like taking the extra 10 minutes and like just Googling, you know, the hero's journey and being like, okay, can I line up any of this stuff here? Like, yes, no, like, or whatever. I don't know. Well, if you take uh, the opportunity to think about it from the customer's perspective or the prospect, the consumer's perspective, right? you know, our job as marketers is to help show people how they can be the hero in their journey, right? The hero at their desk and in their business, they can solve their problems. And here's how we're going to help them do that. And so I think it's very appropriate to think about the hero's journey as sort of a writing guideline. Yeah, it is. I mean, and and there's all sorts of like, there's abbreviated versions of that. There's mm-hmm. sort of like all that did like you, it doesn't have to be the like eight, you know, eight different points of the story. Right. Um, <laughs> like you, you can do it a bunch of different ways. And how does that content sort of like affect those digital channels that you were talking about in your, in your second uncuttable? Yeah. So, you know, when you think about digital, probably the one thing you land on most is your initially your website as a company, right? Like that's your digital sort of landmark that you have. And then you want to think about the content that you have in that. But when I think about content through all of the different digital opportunities, it's how are they driving it? The frequency and volume of content you have helping drive your organic search results, right? So you want to make sure that you have that content in place to tailored to drive your organic. Obviously, you can do whatever you want with your paid. So that's usually helpful. But I also think how you make the information interesting and consumable through infographics, through video snippets, through social interactions, that's all content to me too. And it's usually derivatives of some major content piece that you have or some major storyline that you have. So I think the two really go, they have to go hand in hand or you can call them yin and yang, whatever you'd like to call them. Yin and yang. (laughs) And especially because you can track all this stuff now, right? You know how many people have engaged with everything, how many people downloaded the white paper, how many, you know, oh, this person has, you know, clicked on these seven things. And this account has eight different people engaged with, you know, 56 pieces of content over the past year. And, and we're, you know, we've been in a stalled opportunity with them and then they just open a bunch of stuff. Like it, there's just so much more data now at the marketer's fingertips than ever before. And like, that's how you can, you know, prove marketing's value if, if you, if you're in the, in the business of proving it. Well, I think the trick is figuring out how to use all that data to really make decisions going forward, right? There's a ton of data that we can see now. What is really showing a motion forward. I think one of the things that's been most interesting to me in in a change has been the lead capture and lead flow change from seeing all this data, right? It used to be that you had the one person that you're working with, they're your lead, they put in Salesforce, they do your thing, and your team is following up with them. But now this notion of the, was it the swarm where you can see if a whole bunch of other people from that business are also on your side or also looking at it, they may not be the person you're interacting with, but it sure does give you good visibility into the interest level of that side or how these, how that 
company prospect is considering you when you start to see the number of touches from that company and think about that a little bit differently versus just kind of the one-to-one relationship of lead to BDR to sales rep type thing. And then final thing about this, just the acceleration events that you mentioned, Mm -hmm. Uh, any best practices there or examples of like a way that you've done that really well? I think the key there is making sure that you build the right audience for the content you're going to show. So thinking about all your prospects in the Chicago area probably won't work for you because unless you are a one product company, because then they may have too many different interests and you may lose people during the day. So making sure you kind of keep that content and audience tightly aligned. And I know that that sounds like kind of a Captain Obvious statement, but it's not always consistent because very often marketers are measured on a volume of activity. And I think I'd rather have one of those acceleration events with a fewer number of people that can be a really targeted conversation that we're going to actually accelerate those deals than to have a larger number of people in the room and have half of them disengage during it because then you've probably decelerated those deals. Anything that that you're doing that you would say is your most cuttable budget item or something you're not going to be investing in or, or something that's maybe not working or fading away or just taking a pause on? You know, I don't have a great answer to that right now because we're in the midst of our budget process. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I'm actually looking at all of that. Our fiscal year ends September 30th. And so we're just, you know, just starting to look at and do the analysis for this past year with what we want to, what we want to reduce and what we want to go forward with. Let's not cut anything. Let's just invest anything that you're excited about investing in. Let's just spend. <laughs> yeah, right. Let's just spend. We used to joke and say, what's the worst thing that happens? You just do it and be legends? Uh, <laughs> That's perfect. I spent some silly money that way. Well, you know, they say that you send, set 10% of your budget aside for experiments, right? And, Correct. And an experiment, you can get a 10X return, you can get a 1X return, you can lose it all. But... That should be, you know what? You just made that should be a question. I should add that to the to the. <laughs> what's your what's your experimental budget investment? What's your ten percent investment for for next year? You know what? For us, it really depends on industry and region. Mm, I can tell you cool. right now, from an international perspective, we have an opportunity to really accelerate what we're doing through greater investment in our channel programs there. Channel is just a great way internationally to give you reach. When what we're finding with our industry expertise, our focus on delivering industry expertise, is that when we work with the channel partners in the individual countries, like at a country level, not a regional level, we get to deliver that level of expertise because they not only know the language and the culture, but they're so well-trained on our product that they're the experts in that need for that country. It's really been remarkable. And so we see that there. I think in the Americas, we're seeing some great opportunity to experiment with, some of it is on the content side, with how we're thinking about our content, especially along the lines of video work that we're doing. And so that's something that we're really trying to see how we can be kind of cooler, different, especially as we pull together things that we call our virtual product tours. 
So that's something that we're really doing something different in the Americas. That's really fun. I love the idea of those type of product tours, getting mm -hmm. people in there, especially in other regions. That's cool. Mm -hmm. Any other things that you're excited about or, or investing in or anything there? I think one of the other things that I'm excited about with Epicor is Epicor has gone through a big transformation of, you know, it's, it's a company that's been around for a while and, and moving to the cloud and now truly moving to deliver the, the software as a service experience and thinking about how we're going to invest in the customer success. And for us, for marketing, we do a lot of it today, but it is a little bit more disjointed than I would like it to be. And I think there's a way to really partner with our services and our support teams and to make sure that we create a more fluid and easygoing educational experience for our customers. And that's something that we're really investing in right now. How do you view your website? I see the website is really being a, a important key element. I mentioned it earlier. It is sort of the core of your digital strategy. I think it is your, your storefront for a B2B business like we are. Um, and I think it's an essential, essential piece of your go-to-market. I think Epicor's website, we, since I joined, we have been undergoing a lot of renovations, I can say. And shortly you will see a much deeper content-based site. And that is cool. something that I'm really excited about. Very, very cool. We'll yeah. be looking out. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Stay tuned to Epicor.com. So with customer success being so important for marketers now mm -hmm. and marketers, you know, you talked, we talked sort of like at the top of the show about this idea that marketers perhaps having to like earn your seat at the table to be strategic. Well, talking about marketers marketing for on the customer success side is, is perhaps even a bridge farther than, than a lot of folks are allowed to go at this point. What is marketing's relationship to customer success and the sort of like post sale action? I think one of the most compelling parts or compelling roles that marketing can play post-sale is helping facilitate the welcome onboarding and continuing education for customers. You know, the, the company, once they've purchased the product, they're going to go through their formal onboarding process. And depending on the complexity of your product, that can involve a services team, that can be an online thing, that can be self-service. But knowing that you're welcome to the company, that you can be pointed to the resources, whether it be online communities, whether it can be upcoming user conferences, whether it can be educational webinar series, where the knowledge base is, those types of things, make sure that engagement level is there and that the customer feels welcome, I think is a key thing. I think making sure that you are able to communicate where to get help and where to learn so that they get the ultimate value realization is essential. So there's the nice and the cool, and then there's really making sure that they're successful. And I've done this both, you know, here at Epicor, we're, we're running them. I've done it at previous companies, large and small, that when you can actually build a cadence of that communication, whether it be a 
webinar series that starts with here's the most release information, here's the tips and tricks, here's the greatest use cases we've seen, here's the things that we've gotten the 10 most support tickets on, whatever. That just provides customers a feeling that they're engaged with and they can always make sure their usage of the solution is optimized and that they have the help to make sure they're successful in what they're doing. And when customers have that level of engagement, even if your release gets pushed, they tend to not get too fussy with you because they kind of know what's coming. You've managed expectations. And that's really, I think, a role marketing can play really better than any other part of the organization. One, we have the systems to track what we're doing, how people are engaging with us, what they're taking in, And two, we have the team from product marketing and demand gen to make sure that we get the communications and the stories and the information out to them. Yeah, totally. Very, very, very cool. I totally agree. I mean, and I think, as you mentioned, like the, who is the keeper of, of those type of communications, right? Like Mm -hmm. who communicates with the customer? I heard a great, there was a great story a while ago, many, a hundred episodes or more ago where there was a, a very famous CEO, tech CEO, who wrote all of the product email copy himself. And it was a huge bottleneck. <laughs> so there's the downside to this. And then the upside was that like it was very refined in the way that they were being communicated. Mm-hmm. And I always thought about that of like the CEO finds it so important to write the product feedback directly to their customers, of which they must have had, I mean, thousands. And I always thought, like, it's so funny that even and in this company, the marketing person was looking over his shoulder that for other folks, that was not a marketer. It was was a product person who was overseeing that. And I'm like, just the idea of of mailing that list and having marketing not involved (laughs) in it at all sounds sounds terrifying. It does sound terrifying, doesn't it? Right. (laughs) No, I think we want to have kind of we want to have the organization whose task with managing that outbound communication, manage those outbound communications and, and do it across the board. Otherwise you get in a situation where you might have cross communications going out, things that are slightly positioned differently and you might yep. raise confusion. This is not raising confusion does not help the customer experience. So that's what you want to avoid. Okay, let's get to our next segment, the dust-up. Uh-oh, here comes trouble. You may have heard that there was a dust-up involving yours truly. And now we've got a wild scrum with fights breaking out all over the place. And it is getting really ugly as we've got punches and kicks. Where we talk about healthy tension, whether that's with your board, your competitors, your sales team, or anyone else. Have you had a memorable dust-up in your career, Jenny? I think we all have. (laughs) So there's that. Uh, You know, mine, the thing that came to mind when I saw this is really, I'm out in the Silicon Valley. There's been everyone, well, I would assume that everyone's careers take that point where you're like, I just want to be in that cool startup. I'm going to go make it, make my way. And you get caught up in the startupness of it all. And I had one of those startups, I had a founder that had just sold his company for billions and billions of dollars. We were in the original Facebook office off of University Avenue, Palo Alto, you know, like this is going to be it. And so you jump in and you jump in without really knowing what the company was going to do. Like it was such a good 
startup story that you're like, I want to be part of it. Yeah. And I went into lead product marketing and they didn't really have a product and right. that's hard to do. And so it was a lot of hard conversations, a lot of, we can't take this to market. You want to take it to market. There's not the right product market fit. And it just, it just needed to change. And it was just, it was not going to work. And I think that was one of my shorter stints in a company. So I'd hate to say that the, the way to solve that problem was really me going to find a company with a viable product. But it was a really good lesson for me to think about not just the hype of something, but the, the true, what's, what's going to make that work is that product market fit. And that's something that I got to look for. Yeah. And if you're not there, like that has to be in the marketing, right? Like that has, it has to be super aspirational. You need to know, Hey, this is where we're going to be. This is the future. This is all that stuff. Like start with us now, spend money with us now. We'll grow with you. We'll grandfather you in all those type Mm -hmm. of mess has very different from it's going to work. Uh, and then they're like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But what is it? What is the, <laughs> what you keep saying it's going to work. I've always joked <laughs> with the product teams that if you build it, they will come worked once in a movie. Yeah, exactly. That is exactly right. <laughs> All right. Let's get to our final segment here. Quick hits. These are quick questions and quick answers. Just like how qualified.com helps companies generate pipeline quickly, tap in your greatest asset, your website to identify your most valuable visitors and instantly, and I mean instantly, start sales conversations. Quick and easy, just like these questions, go to qualified.com to learn more. They're our best friends in the whole world, so go check them out, qualified.com. Quick hits, Jenny. Are you ready? Okay. What hidden talent or skill is not on your resume? Cooking. (laughs) What's your favorite thing to cook? I am very farm to table. I am very go find out what's fresh, whatever, and make something cool from it. Oh, that's fun. Do you have a favorite non-marketing hobby that might indirectly make you a better marketer? I would say it was a, it's a hobby that has waned a little bit, but I have kids. I spent a long time volunteering with my boys as they were growing up. And I think the volunteering was a way that I could actually bring my marketing skills to like a different situation and learn a little more about how people took them in or how to communicate them and what to do. And I think it made me a better marketer, especially with how to communicate complex things to folks who don't have any idea what you're talking about to begin with. What's your best advice for a first time CMO who's trying to figure out their marketing strategy? Take a look at the data. I mean, honestly, I think the biggest thing you can do is take a breath and understand the market, where you're headed, what's worked, and start to identify those things that haven't worked. Kind of what are you going to keep and what are you going to dismiss? Fantastic. Jenny, it has been awesome having you on the show. We're all going to go check out epicor.com because we're going to have new some new website stuff and, and you can check out the content. Any final thoughts here? Anything to plug? I think one of my final thoughts for all the marketers that are listening to this, see if you can find the cool stuff and make it work for you. I think we all want the big hype and we all want the cool stuff. We are fortunate enough to sponsor an F1 car, AlphaTauri. That is so fun with Drive to Survive. We've done a lot of cool, fun things with it, but we've made it meaningful in the story because AlphaTauri uses our product 
to make sure that car is ready for every race. Those 14,000 parts are where they need them to be. And I think it's being able to find that cool stuff and make it work for you. I love it. Fantastic. Glad you brought it up. Should have asked it earlier, but it's but so, <laughs> so cool. Jenny, thanks so much. But We'll talk soon. Great. Thank you so much. Thanks again to our friends at Qualified.com, a conversational sales and marketing platform that transforms the way B2B companies sell. Go to Qualified.com to learn more.